0: Hello and welcome to the Heritage Man series. My name is Kojo Akoto Today we are talking about sports and sports development in the Gold Coast. Most importantly, boxing. Because boxing is a sport that really put Ghana on the map properly. Our global dominance in a lot of things has not really materialized. But our global dominance in this particular game worked out because there was a man that we've all grown to love we've all grown to revere azuma nelson the professor as um he's popularly called and to today i'm talking to one 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 professor i've been chasing for about a year now um for those of you who have followed the heritage month series you 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 remember so Kweku told me about him and 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 how awesome he is and how um he seems to know a bit about everything and i wanted to talk to him about uh our religion in ghana religion in ghana and delve deeper into african traditional religion and the traditional christian groupings you remember the Mozambique disco, disco crystal church and the aoyo and all those other um traditional sort of um, christian groupings and related religions but i tried and i couldn't find him because he's also quite busy but we have him now, and we are not going to talk about religion. We are going to talk about his love for boxing and boxing in Ghana. We are exploring the social history of boxing in Ghana today, and it's interesting um, um, and, uh, and a focus on the professor himself, Azuma Nelson. Now, my guest today is Professor Di Valera N.Y.M. Bochoy. He is an Associate Professor of History, Africa and the African Diaspora at the University of Cape Coast. His interest is in black religious and cultural nationalisms, West Africa, Africans in dispersion, African indigenous knowledge systems, sports with respect to boxing in Ghana, children in pop culture, world civilizations and regionalism and integration in Africa. When I went to uni and we we were doing history of African culture and history of world cultures. If I had him as my lecturer or PA or or TA or anything of a resource, I'm sure I'd have gotten an A. Because this man is a pure authority who manages to break down the issues. He was a fellow of the Center of African Studies University of Cambridge, England between 2006 and 2007. A A visiting scholar at the University of South Florida in 2010. A visiting professor at Grand Valley State University in Michigan in 2012. He received the AHP Fellowship Award 2013-2014 from the American Council of Learning Societies and in addition he gained postdoctoral experience at the University of Western Cape in South Africa and he's a member of the Historical Society of Ghana. Let me tell you more about him before I even ask him any questions. He's authored books and several scholarly articles. These include Fela, the black president. Yeah, you've you've read that, right? It rings a bell, right? Yes, that's the man. And he's he's done other things. He... So many things. So let me just talk to him now, for him to tell us a lot more of the things he's done. Professor Butri, welcome to the Heritage Man series. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you.
0: Di Valera Butri. Never heard that name before until Kwekuda Kankra introduced me to you. De Valera, what's the origin of that name?
1: Well, um, it's actually Irish. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not Irish at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that is part of the colonial hangover we have. We must understand that Ireland was also a colony of Great Britain, I mean England. And so, um, in a way, when it comes to minority nationalities fighting against, you know, dominant ones who colonize, we shared the same struggle with the people of Ireland. Um, They had a prime minister who was very revolutionary. His name is Imon de Valera. My father was in the Ghana army, one of the early officers after the colonial regime ended. Um, And his his nationalistic instinct as well as his anti-colonial position made him to look around to, to find the name of a revolutionary who was against imperialism and colonialism, and he found the name Di Valera and said that I want my son to be revolutionary, so I'll give him that name. If you look at the names of my siblings, they all are names of people who are revolutionaries in the area of science or politics or even military endeavors, so
0: it's, it's Irish. <laughs> but why didn't you end up being a, a soldier? Since your father was a soldier, he wanted you to be a revolutionary. Thinking about the Ghanaian Contest, the strongest revolutionaries in recent history, have been the soldiers?
1: Well, I think that they, some, of, some of the Ghanaians chose to cause social change um, um, by using the barrel of the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, but we must also understand that real, real revolutions must have an intellectual backing. Yep. Otherwise, it will, not, it will not be sustainable. People will, will fight against, overthrow, or against a system that's oppressive, overthrow it, and if they themselves are not conscious, they will turn out to become you know, oppressors themselves. Also, when you find people who just pick up brooms and machetes and guns and overthrow a system, and they start to feel the pinch of this same system which will come back as a form of neo-colonialism that they go they become like the israelites were following moses and go like hey moses why did you take us out of <laughs> egypt we are in the wilderness we're yeah. suffering take us back mm-hmm. it, it's even for it's better for us to stay in egypt so if you have people who are intellectual revolutionaries and they tell the people why they have to suffer for some time after overthrowing an oppressive regime, then they will understand that well it's part of it's part of the journey True. to to the, to the to the to the land of milk and honey. So you need intellectuals to to be at the vanguard of any social revolution, and I think that I use the classroom as you know the place where it can cause is the social this change.
0: Something you you wanted to do all along as a young boy, or is something that happened to you along the way? Um, I'm asking this because there are lots of people, like even if, if me, I remember my childhood, teachers would ask us what we wanted to be, and I want to be a, an engineer, a doctor, at this, at that. I don't remember anybody saying I wanted to be a historian, or, so how did you end up getting here
1: because you're very omniscient about this truth every young boy or girl wants to grow up to be a doctor a medical doctor of course or or a pilot or or what a lawyer okay i i started like any other kid i wanted to be a pilot i remember one day my mom was braiding my hair she she used to braid my hair when i was young and then there was an encyclopedia lying down so I, I, would, I was just going through and I saw this pilot in the cockpit and I said oh that is really cool and my mom said what do you want to be and I said I want to be a pilot but let me, let me explain why I didn't end up being a pilot. I wasn't strong in mathematics and I'm, I'm a product of the A-level system you know. You have to pass maths in order to pursue you know uh, Science. sciences and so on and so forth. I passed maths but it was very weak. It just it was just a bare pass that got me to to get you know uh, into the next stage, which is A levels. And I realized that my I had this the strength in in reading and and, and uh, basically in the humanities, uh, understanding human relations and, and theorizing and philosophizing, um, remembering things, you know. And so I just said, okay, why don't you uh, pursue the mother of all disciplines, mm-hmm. that is history. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just being, you know, biased here or supporting my. So I pursued it because every subject has a history.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at your book right now, which fortunately for me has been autographed by Berima himself, Azuma Nelson himself. And I also have your autograph in the book. And so you've written on boxing and Berima himself. And you've also written about fella you, <laughs> i'm i'm odd like that you are writing about two of the biggest names two of the biggest african greats. let's start with fella and then we we'll get into boxing because i want us to delve d- d- deeper into this what made you write about the black president
1: okay so i was i was in um I was in the University of South Florida as a global academic scholar uh, and uh, that was the time that um, Jay-Z and the wife, Beyoncé, sponsored uh, a Broadway production on Fela, just called Fela. And uh, there were different narratives about this man. Some said, oh, yes, he's a great musician, he's a musical genius, but he has a very, um, very dirty life uh, socially. He's a misogynist. He's, uh, we call him womanizer. He's mm-hmm. a drug addict. And I, I was just listening to all of these, and I, I felt that there was something that needed to be done to actually get people to understand this, um, this man. So I decided to work on him but i just didn't work on him as a musician i i figured out why he he became the person that he became very controversial and anti hegemony anti corrupt you know systems and 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 i i tied him to the black power movement fela brought the black power movement to to africa so i look at how he was a bridge to the black power movement and how that became articulated through his music mm-hmm. where well, black power means a system that is used by people who consider themselves to be of african descent to overthrow oppressive regimes from white and black alike and so fella attracted me and I worked on him. So the full title is Philhar the Black President as Grace to the Mill of the Black Power Movement in Africa. And and this is what got me in there. But I also have love for music. Mm. And so I, I basically explored some of the songs that he produced and the philosophies in them. And for example, Zombie, uh-huh. you know, and he talks about the fact that um, the military regimes that we've had in Africa um, uh, admi- animated by zombified human yeah. beings mm-hmm. who just who just listen to orders by corrupt leaders and they, they brutalize their own. There's
0: and- something there's that, that, something that is making me happy. So <laughs> talking to um, researchers and historians like you, Prempe, or Dantem, um all the let me see the younger historians makes me so happy because you are not just doing unidirectional research you are spreading your wings and capturing everything african and anything at all that should be worked on like my damn time working on a bit on hip-hop yes and um it's it's really makes me happy so we are capturing everything that is ours yes and 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 immortalizing our stories our history our heritage our heroes, our heroines and everything. This is really great and I must give it up for, for, for you guys. You guys are just awesome. Thanks. Now, tell me about your new book, Boxing is No Cakewalk. And and how you ended up from fella to boxing to Azuma Nelson.
1: It was a long, it was a long journey. I must say that my father again inspired or, or actually um, quickened my interest in boxing as a young boy growing up. He used to talk about the boxing grades of America to my younger brother and, and myself, and he, he referred to my younger brother at a point in time as Archimo, one of the American greats. Um, and the response was, just one blow. So he would say, Archimo, and my just brother would say, blow. just one blow. And then later, he he called him Rocky Marciano, And he used to talk to us about, you know, Joe, Joe Louis, the brown bomber, mm-hmm. and uh, Muhammad Ali, yeah. the greatest. But he wasn't really talking much about Ghanaian boxes, you know, until you know, later on we, we really got to know the names of DK poison. I mean, it's a legend. Yeah. Um, and that was it as growing up. And when I when I started to explore different things about Ghanaian history, um, I came across, you know our man Azuma Nelson not only from from just newspapers but also from television we saw him when we were young you know on TV fighting for Ghana that he had always been a hero Mm -hmm. within us but that was a personal love not an intellectual one so going to the university I had to you know do research uh, for my PhD and I realized that there was a lacuna in Ghanaian historiography Academics in, in the history, corridors of history, were not writing, you know, social and cultural histories and we're not paying attention to sports. So I felt that I should create something new. And boxing came to the forefront and I said, let me look at...
0: B- before this. we even go to the origins of boxing in Ghana and, and trace everything all the way to Azuma Nelson, let me ask you this because I do not want to forget this question. Is it true that Azuma used to pay for... Um, the TV station to broadcast his fights for Ghanaians to get to watch. It's 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 been said in my circles that oh, he used to pay with his own money for the TV station to air his bouts, so so we get to watch. Is it true?
1: Well, I will not be surprised if Azuma did that. Azuma is a very very nationalistic person, kind. And I wouldn't be surprised, but I also don't think that, and he's someone who do something good for people and would not like to broadcast Mm -hmm. and tell the world. So it is possible that this man wanted Ghanaians to to enjoy his fights and wanted all Ghanaians to support him, you know, visually. So possibly he, he did that. But what I know is that the PNDC government actually, you know, committed a lot of resources to promote Azuma Nelson to bring him to us in our homes, allowing the then GB, the GBC, of course, mm-hmm. the only TV, TV station at the time in this country, to 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 show us Azuma's fights. So that I can I, I am able to talk about, but I'm not able to uh, say anything uh, factually about whether Azuma Nelson used this money to pay, you know, stations to
0: stations to. Uh to show his fights to Ghanaians. Now now let's look at boxing as a sport in Ghana. When did it really start? Was it something that uh, we used to do? I I know that in the typical traditional setup, there was a bit of wrestling. Yeah. But uh, I don't know whether boxing was also a part of of us or or something that was borrowed from um, our encounters with foreigners.
1: Yeah, every society historically... Uh, Transculturally uh, You can talk about the fact that Every society has a sport That brings about some kind of uh, Physical combat mm-hmm. And wrestling is the basic Of all human, <laughs> human combat sports It's all over the world Different forms though But you can call all of them wrestling mm-hmm. Using the fist To fight to is, is very natural To human beings Just to fight but turning that fight into a sport is something that is cultural, <laughs> and so you have among the Greeks they had something called pankration. Mm-hmm. Um, you have among the, the the people of Thailand they have what they call Thai Muay. Mm-hmm. Okay, some people call it Thai boxing. Okay, um, and so when you look at Africa and you come to colonial Ghana, which was then the Gold Coast, you had different ethnic groups, and all these ethnic groups you know, were not new to the use of the fist for self-defense. What I can say is that among the Ga people of Accra, they had an indigenous you know, fisticuff sport. Some, maybe in English, they would say pugilism, mm-hmm. which is very different from boxing. Uh, um, and it was called Asafu Atrele. And it was primarily done by the Asafu people uh, to, to quicken their, their reflexes, and make them to be able to defend the Oman, which is the, 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 state. the, the state in times of, of war. But it was also um, used uh, out of the martial circles as a sport, to engage you know the different Asafu groups to fight and uh but in the spirit of of, of sportsmanship okay. um basically for recreation and f- just for strength and exercise this existed on the on the cultural terrain of of accra mm. before the the imposition of of british colonial rule uh, we know that the, the europeans had been here and they had really set up an imperial system but imposition of British colonial rule according to normative history was about 1874. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, when the British did that they wanted now to not only control the Gold Coast politically but also culturally. Now sports are not just games that people play, you know, and just entertainment. They are actually performances that are also endowed with ideologies and philosophies and powers that can get people to submit and allow people to control people. It can unite or disunite people, depending on how one decides to use sports. Even in modern times, economic
0: powers. Economic Because the amount of money we pay, or, or, or we, we pay for rights to even football and some of these boxing games, exactly. it reaches. Those who control them.
1: Exactly. I see. So you had the British then imposing their f- sports, and these sports are their cultural products produced by British culture. So they had then, as a colonial power, had to, in a way, demonize the existing indigenous sport. The one to be colonized, his sports had to be demonized for the colonizer sport to
0: triumph this 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 looks (laughs) like a trend so we demonized our existing traditional means of worship exactly such that in modern times if you're a traditionalist you are seen as evil Mm -hmm. at a point we sort of demonized even how we dressed Mm -hmm. the food we ate Mm -hmm. even the homes we built yes because the traditional system of building, even though it, even though it needed some improvements and um, modification, yes. was such that it used materials found around us, materials that made lives in the p- tropics bearable. Yeah. But now we demonize them in quotes, uh-huh. and now we are importing a lot of building materials from abroad. Yes. Enriching the producers. Yes. Clothing, we are importing. Food, we are importing. Yes. Yeah. Sports mm-hmm. we are important, yes <laughs> <laughs> but you can stuff. see
1: how people are stuck so, well uh, it's part of entertainment, but we get we are so much stuck in the mud with with UF, u f the the European league and so on and so forth, we don't really pay attention to it, but that's very colonial's part of basketball the colonial is also yeah it's part of the colonial hangover,, ah. and so it it had to demonize this asafu actually um and impose. English-style boxing on the people and said, that is actually a sport that, that represents civilization, civility. There is actually a referee and so on and so forth. But they developed that sport um, that they call civilization part of their civilization. Um, on a trail of blood, if you look at the genesis of English-style boxing, it takes us to ancient Rome. Mm. And you know the Romans the gladiators and so on and the romans really loved blood you know and they would cheer and the kind of boxing that they had in ancient rome was very bloody
0: a fight to the death fight yes and most times using sleeves exactly
1: so and it was actually also used by the ruling elite to control the masses give them blood give them sport let them be in the arena and cheer and forget about the real issues the power of sports
0: so whilst these days religion, religion is the opium of the masses, but then sports of course. and the blood it came with was the opium of the masses? Of course. And
1: still today sports are people still, political regimes still tap and harness the power of sports mm. to control the masses. Wow! Give them football, mm. let them, and then all of a sudden we forget about certain economic and social problems and we are cheering and so that was it so they imposed the style on us and banned the indigenous sports in 1930 that was 1930 in Accra around that time and imposed this. and so they started teaching it in schools and some adventurous got people got into it some who had gone travel to to England to study they started setting up boxing clubs and uh, because the indigenous people had what Pierre Boudot refers to as habitus, a pugilistic habitus. It's it is it is the idea that says that people gravitate to certain sports because they have a certain cultural um um philosophy that in a way uh gravitate them to particular sports or classes or groups. For example, if you look at the sport say polo mm-hmm. or cricket mm-hmm right? You realize it's a sport for the elite. Yeah, golf. Or golf. Tennis. Tennis, yes. So it is the habitus that the elite possess. And the habitus is it's also related to how the people see their bodies and relate to their bodies. People with with, with, with a certain habitus that says that the body must be tough and strong will gravitate to sports that will consider manly strength. requires strength but those who say we want a certain soft body be able to walk in tuxedos they gravitate to sports that involves you know swimming and tennis and so on and so forth so you realize that the people did have these habitus already existing because they have already had that software. actually so it's easy mm-hmm. for them to gravitate to this Sport, which was being imposed by the colonial regime. But you must also understand that they just didn't do that. They had agency. They said, we are going to get into it and bring local inventiveness into it. There are certain moves that are not from England, fighting moves that are not from England, developed by the people of Jamestown, the gut people. And when you also look at it, they felt that they could use the same sport of the oppressor to challenge the colonial regime and order, to dismantle the myth of racism or racial superiority. So, okay, we're going to learn it and we're going to face the, the colonial or colonizer in the ring. And mm. we're going to ensure that we beat the colonizer or make money or use it for social mobility. So,
0: that Be- was it. Before we get into how boxing has developed in modern day Ghana, yes. quick question for you. Yeah. Did the British style of boxing mm-hmm. kill the... The indigenous type completely to the to the extent that even the asafo groups are not using them for practice because you said that asafo groups use them for practice and then in some instances for healthy inter asafo and intercommunal competitions. Yeah. Did, did they manage to completely kill that of or that exists in part of um, um, Accra now as we speak?
1: Now you don't find the asafo actually, asafo actually going on in Accra. Uh, because the Saffuruli did have what they call kind of a free for all, you know, approach. Two Asafu groups will come and clash, and they would just, you know, trade punches. And then when one runs away or one surrenders, that's fine. Or they may bring their captains to do that. <laughs> Normally, they do it on the beach, mm-hmm. and after that, they will move from the beach to the center of town, like say yeah. Bukom Bukom Square area, and do it. Um, and then when you look at the English style facts, it's, it's more like a, a Lone Ranger's thing. One person, one person in the ring, and you have what they call the, 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 the marquee, um, a, a, a certain rule that they apply from England. Um, it didn't kill it also in terms of... So you had that, and so you had the gut people assimilated it. But when you look at some of the early gut people that got into the sport they translated some of the Asafwa Trele boxing fighting moves into the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one uh, boxer um, uh, who started one of the early gyms in Jamestown by the name uh, Surprise Asowa. Mm-hmm. Um, and Surprise Asowa, in fact, introduced a kind of fighting posture, which is called the frog. He was basically bringing in certain stance and moves of animals in, in, in the ring. And so you had this kind of, as I said, local inventiveness being introduced, introduced into, into, the... into this English style of boxing, mm. which then was taken on by, you know, the, the English style of boxing was taken on after independence by Kwame Nkrumah, and, and then, you know, boxing was added to the national sports.
0: Interesting. My guest today is Professor Di Valera Butri. Yeah. He's an associate professor of history at the University of Cape Coast, we are talking, we started talking about his interest in history and how he ended up here and spoke about a few other things. But now we are delving into boxing in Ghana. He's actually authored a book, Boxing is no Cakewalk. Why not boxing is no kinky walk? <laughs> 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 Since we are indigenizing everything, right? Boxing? boxing is no kinky walk. And uh, he writes about Azuma Nelson in the social history of Ghanaian boxing. Prof. Di Valera Botry, thank you very much for your time on this episode of the Heritage Month series. Um, in the coming episodes we'll be talking about boxing development in Accra boxing as a part of gun culture boxing as an element in gun history and also expanded to talk about that national hero we are all very proud of azuma nelson the professor all coming up on the heritage month series keep listening to 97.3 ctfm my name is kojo akoto boating and my guest has been professor de valera Boche. thank you for listening